Burr is going to come and just speak to us uh, regarding those verses. Hebrews 10, verses 1 to 10. I'll be reading from the ESV version. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Wow. Well, welcome to you if you're visiting Canberra Gardens Community Church again. A special welcome to you if you are a family member um, of uh, the three wonderful people who've shared their testimony who are going to be getting baptised soon. Uh, This morning, uh, uh, the passage that John read to us, I just want us to kind of uh, reflect on a couple of things. I want us to reflect on this idea of the state of matters, of uh, the state of affairs in our life and in this world. And secondly, I want to reflect on this idea of the greatest gift, um, particularly as we head towards Christmas. And in the first few verses that John read to us, uh, and talking about, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, you can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would have not ceased to be offered since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, we no longer have any consciousness of sin. For all these sacrifices are a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Father, we pray as we meditate on these truths, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I don't know, I think around Christmas time, around this time on TV, there's a movie called Groundhog Day that keeps on repeating and looping. I don't know if you've seen that, right? It's a movie that comes along and there's a guy by the name of Bill Murray who uh, is in it. And it's the story of a guy who's stuck on one day. And he has to replay that story over and over again. And as the, as the storyline goes, at first he's a little bit annoyed. He's, he's, he feels like he's stuck in this never-ending story. Sometimes, at some point, all of a sudden he realizes, oh, I can do whatever I want. And there's a line where he says in there, says that I'm, I'm like God. But then also he realizes as the story goes, there's this love interest that he has. And he realizes he can actually now get things right. And the same day he replays to eventually somehow, eventually get things right particularly with this love interest. Now, it's a, it's a silly movie, and I don't really get it because I'm in Australia. I don't get the whole thing about this groundhog and the day thing, whatever. But I, I wonder if for some of us, we feel that way. I don't know if you feel that way in your own life. Uh, maybe uh, you think you need to replay your life. I wish I could do that again. 
I wish I had a second chance. I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I hadn't. I have never done that before. I wish. I wish. I wish. If I had that time again. I mean, there are some of you here who are visiting, and, and you've heard three stories of people who are getting baptized, and you're you're maybe visiting because you want to encourage them and, and want to spur them on in their faith. Uh, maybe you also want to make sure they're not getting connected to some cult, um, particularly as you drive down this very long driveway. Which is understandable. You should see what we do to them after five years. Um, we, we don't do anything like that. But when you look at this passage that John just read, there's some really weird things in there. Blood of goats and bulls and cleansing. I mean, it just sounds really strange. I want you to understand, no matter where you are when it comes to the Christian faith and what your understanding is, we as this church, and you've heard the stories of people sharing their testimonies, that we believe in a God who did not make this world just by chance. We believe in a God who has a purpose. This world that he created, he actually placed the first humans in this world to be under his loving command, under his loving rule. The temptation comes into this world and a lie is told to the first humans. And that ultimate lie is to say, hey, you can be your own God. You don't need the God of the universe. You can be your own God. And the first humans respond. And what that does is it has actually created this, and you've heard some of the stories of brokenness. The things that have come into their lives or the things that they've experienced in this life, there's brokenness there. And what that brokenness is, there's a, there's a relationship brokenness between us and the creator of the universe. And that has spread throughout all of history until today. But not only that, it brings in this reality of death. And death has corrupted this world in so many ways. And many of us have even experienced that in our own lives, maybe even this year. But there's this also innate feeling that sticks around like a bad smell. It kind of seeps into your soul. Christians call it sin. It's stuck there for a long time and you feel like it's always there. You can't get rid of it. Many years ago when I used to smoke quite a bit, I remember the first time I tried to sneak uh, around to make sure that my parents didn't find out that I smoked. And so I would go out into the backyard and I would stand downwind to make sure it doesn't come back at me as I smoke the cigarette smoke. And I would think that after I've smoked it, uh, that means they're not going to find out. But I don't know if you've ever met a smoker or you you might be one. You can't really get away from the cigarette smoke. It clings on to you. You might even try to spray yourself with lots of deodorant in the hope that it will make the smell go away, but it doesn't. You might eat a lot of gum and chew on it for a long time and drink Listerine as much as you can. It doesn't make it go away. It's still there. The stench is still there. It's in everything. And you know what? This world that we live in constantly is telling us you need to cover up. You need to cover up all the blemishes that you have. Whatever it might be, right? Deodorant. Guys, men, there's this thing called deodorant. It makes you smell good, apparently. Ladies, covering up the blemishes on your face with makeup and moisturizer, a variety of things. It's constantly around us. There's this idea of you need to cover things up. And that's transferred into the way that we live. 
And we think, okay, somehow if I'm a really good person, somehow my goodness outweighs all the bad things. And some of us, we're like, oh, I can't be bothered doing good things. It's too much. I'm never going to be good enough. So I'm just going to do whatever I want. So there's a deeper issue going on. That deeper issue is what the Bible describes as sin, is ultimately to say it's like a poison that seeps into everything. It infects everything in our lives and in this world. But because of who God is, he's not some distant God. And I hope you heard those stories throughout. He's a God. He's so intimate. He's pursuing people who deliberately run away from him. He's described later on by Jesus as a loving father. And then the first humans, when they turned away from God, he still pursued them. And he also was the one who bought the first covering for them. And that's carried on through the whole Bible story. There's this relationship that God has with God and a particular group of people, the Israelites. And he tells them a bunch of rules and commands. And they weren't there just to kind of be annoying and restrict their lives. They were actually to say, hey, this is what it means to have a relationship with the Holy God. And you might have heard some of these things. Maybe if you grew up in a religious school or went to Sunday school, you'd have heard the things called the Ten Commandments. You'd have seen them floating around. What God was saying to them is, if you are my people, this is what it means to live under my loving rule. This is what it means to follow me. So I'm going to lay some things before you. But this is also to show that you're separate from the people around you, the other nations, that you belong to me. But if you break it, there is consequences. But for peace to happen again, for peace to happen between you and me, there's going to be a cost. And usually there's a cost in life. And that was all ultimately pointing to something that was coming ahead. And you've seen these Ten Commandments, maybe you've read it, maybe you've heard it in Sunday school, or maybe a religious school, and maybe your parents told you really religiously you've got to memorize these things, this is what it means to be a follower of God. This is the very start of these commandments, this is what God says to them. You shall have no other gods but me. You shall not make for yourself any idol, nor bow down to it or worship it. What God is ultimately saying to this group of people, Israel, and saying, listen, your heart, your being was actually shaped to worship me. Don't worship other things. You weren't created to worship those things. And if you do, it's actually not going to satisfy you. Not only that, it won't actually go well for you. And the rest of the commandments are almost like a flow on. If you worship God in this way, this is what it looks like to live a life. What God is saying is ultimately you'll become the slave, someone who is bound to this other God. Because he says, I'm your God. But just as then and even to now, the humans try to keep up to that standard. But they couldn't. And so there was a cost. And what's going on is in this, this writer, Hebrews, is actually saying, hey, there's a state of affairs, there's a rebellion that's going on, there must be a payment. And it comes in life. Death. And this is because of this rebellion. This is because of this bad smell, this stench that sticks around and clings onto you. It's infected everything. And we try to cover it up with our good works, or we might even cover it up with saying, oh, I can't be bothered. It doesn't really fix any of it. And so what they did was they created this system. And the writer in Hebrews says in verse 3, he says, you bring these things in the hope that it will actually appease God. But in verse 3 says, what it does through the it reminds you. It reminds you, well, actually you're still guilty. 
it doesn't actually fix it for you. It's a reminder, oh, I'm still under God's wrath. Blood of bulls or goats, they actually won't do any good. And that is the state of affairs in this world and in the world at the time. This feeling of you've got to bring something to somehow appease, but it won't. It won't fix it. What we do won't fix it. And this story that you've heard this morning, I don't know if you were hearing it constantly. For me, when I was sitting there listening to these three testimonies, I had to keep on asking, Lord, where am I in this? And, and the story is always God saying to you, who are you? And this idea of God wanting to pursue and have a loving relationship with you. I mean, are you one of those people that this year has been one of those years? You're hoping that no one hears about these secret things that you've done wrong. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, maybe if I do all the good things, you know, I'll give money to those people that are asking for donations at the shopping centers. Maybe I'll be extra generous with my gifts, with my present buying. Or maybe for some of us, we feel like, hey, you know what? It's gone too far. There's nothing that I can do to fix this. I've done too many bad stuff. There's no way. Or maybe there's some of us here, you believe in Jesus, you've given your life to Jesus, but there's this feeling, this weight that's constantly there. Man, I hope they never find out about that thing I did many, many, many years ago. I mean, I've given my life to Jesus, but I hope they never find out. Maybe you've had one of those weeks. You feel like you just really suck at being a follower of Jesus. And you think to yourself, or whoever you are, you might be thinking, somehow now, if I do these things, somehow that will please God. I'll give more, I'll serve more, I'll volunteer more. Friends, what's the state of affairs in your life, in my life, in our life as a church? Because this is the wonderful good news about Jesus. Whoever you are. See, Christmas is not actually just about little baby Jesus born in a manger, but actually is a wonderful reality and reminder there had to be payment. It was a sacrifice. Even today. Now, you and I, when we head into our Christmas lunch, Christmas dinner, maybe you've already had it, whatever form, there's this wonderful truth that, not truth, it actually costs life to have your wonderful meal. It costs the life of a turkey or a lamb or some sort of beef. If you're a beef person, I don't get that. But anyway, um, or, you know, but unless you're having one of those turf, was it tofu turkeys. If you're one of those people, we have a special prayer ministry for you afterwards. But in a very simple way, it did actually cost a life for you to enjoy that meal. See, Christmas is a reminder to us that Jesus himself is the greatest gift. See, in verse 5 of this chapter in Hebrews, it says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body that you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you've taken no pleasure. And then he, the writer quotes Jesus. Then I said, Behold, I've come to do your will, O God, as is written of me in the scroll of the book. The writer of Hebrews is, is talking and he's, he's quoting um, this Jesus. He's saying Jesus is actually um, quoted a, um, a particular psalm. In your Bible, you'll see a little, little letter next to this, these verses. And if you look at the bottom of your Bible, there's a little uh, quote to Psalm 40, verses 6 to, six to 8. 
So at some point, Jesus quoted saying the psalm. And the guy who's writing his original passage is a guy called David. And David is saying, hey, God, you are my ultimate person who will help me, my deliverer. You have rescued me. I'm calling out to you. Please save me. And throughout all of David's life, you see that in the Psalms is this constant reminder. And this Psalm has now taken a whole new meaning for me as I reflect on this in light of what Jesus has done. I don't know if you've seen verse 8 of Hebrews. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings that are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I've come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Friends, I don't know if you hear that. I don't know if you see that. There was a state of affairs that needed to be fixed. And it could not be done by your effort, my effort. It couldn't be done by any of our effort. It had to happen by someone. It actually had to cost someone's life. The one we call Jesus. See, Jesus is talking about this psalm, and what he does, though, he adds to it these powerful, glorious, and I'm so glad that he did words. Behold, I have come to do your will. No sacrifice, no burnt offerings, or sin offering, according to the law, would satisfy this piling debt that you and I have, this this smell and feeling of guilt. There would be only one. This far, the, father, the one that the Father is described to be pleased in, his name is Jesus Christ. The one who was born perfect, but not only that, he wasn't just born to be a sacrifice. The one also in his whole life that was here showed what it means to be 100% committed to the Father's will. I mean, on one hand, you have in a garden where the humans, the first humans rebelled and said, no thanks God. And then later on in another garden, you have someone by the name of Jesus who gets on his knees and prays, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. He offers himself as the ultimate sacrifice. He dies in your place, in my place. And that is what we've heard this morning. Three people sharing and testifying about that truth, how that's personally impacted them, how that is shaping, reshaping everything about their lives. But this ceremony that we're doing in a sec as we head out to the baptismal pool, the spa out there, it would be absolutely pointless, completely no need for it, if Jesus had actually not physically rose from the dead. It would just be another religious thing that we do. It would be pointless. See, what's going on is as these three people head out, they're going to be asked the question who Jesus is, both by their word and by their action. And this wonderful reality, as they come out of the water, we sing a physical resemblance, a symbol that Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen. Now what we're seeing as, as, as people are being baptized is showing that, that this gospel, this truth that you keep on hearing in all the testimonies has captured their hearts. They're saying they don't want to live for themselves anymore. They've been captured by Jesus and they want to live for him. He has raised them. They're no longer sinners. But when God looks at them and says, that's my daughter, that is my son, I've died for them. And both through their mouth and through their life, now they want to live lives declaring that. 
And if you do not know Jesus, we want to invite you here at Canary Gardens to explore these truths. We want you to come with your questions and doubts and objections. We would invite you to ask the person who came with here today. We want you to read the Bible. We would love to give you a copy if you don't have one. Or maybe you're here and this friend of yours has been telling you about Jesus over and over. Maybe this family member of yours has been telling you about Jesus over and over. And you're seeing these testimonies has come and it's clicked all of a sudden. That Jesus came to save you. That Jesus is calling you out and saying, come follow me. Would you do that this morning? Would you give your life to him? And if that is true of you, we would invite you to come and ask. We would ask and invite you to explore this with us. Now, there are some of us who know Jesus. You know the truths. But for whatever reason, you are living under a heap of guilt that you're hanging on to. Maybe at some point in your life, you you did give your life to Jesus, but you're hanging on to some things in your life that are really dragging you down away from having a thriving and wonderful relationship with Jesus. And it's like this bad smell that's constantly there. And you're feeling this guilt that's constantly over you. And maybe you're trying to cover it with as many good religious things that you can do. Come on Sundays, be involved in a small group, doing all these other things in the hope that it will free you and somehow it will appease you. I want to remind you again, Jesus has done it for you. The guilt has been taken care of. The verdict is in. And if you're under Christ, not guilty. That is what God is offering you. Recently we went overseas. My wife did some pastoral ministry training, the wives training for pastors' wives training. She came home with this. I got nervous. During that time while they were there, they had a weekend basically describing about what it means to have your identity in Christ. And she said to me, this is like one of those um, judge mallet things. And on it it says, the verdict is in. And she said to me, there'll be times where I'll pull this out and I got nervous again. But for her, it was a physical picture. The verdict is in. Jesus has paid the price. I'm not under condemnation. He has freed me. I don't need to bring all these sacrifices and so on. Because I'm under his love and grace. There's freedom. The writer in Hebrews later says in verse 16, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I'll remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. The writer is quoting from Jeremiah 31. Let me remind you that Jesus has paid the price. And if you are struggling in something right now, run to him. If you belong to him, run to him. And he will forgive you. This is our wonderful Savior.
This is our wonderful one who came to this world to deal with the state of affairs in this world and in our lives. This is the one who became the ultimate greatest gift. And then this is the one who calls us into a loving relationship with him. He says, you don't need to hang on to that. You can be free from that. I have forgiven you if you turn to me. And that is the life of every follower of Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, can we invite you to explore that with us? I'm going to pray for us in a minute. And then we're going to head out and we're going to see these wonderful baptisms. And I hope there's lots of cheering and lots of excitement because it's a wonderful thing. When Jesus quoted the psalm in Psalm 40, later on the psalmist David writes this. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation continually say, Great is the Lord. Great is the Lord. He's merciful and he has saved us through his wonderful son Jesus. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for your gospel. We want to thank you for your truth. We thank you for this verdict. We pray that by your mercy, for those of us who know you, You'd help us to live in light of that. So that means also to resist and run away from sin, but also not to live under guilt. For those of us who don't know you, oh, Lord Jesus, we pray that today won't be another day we walk away, that you would stir our hearts to find out more. In Jesus' name, amen.